Luke 12, 35. I'll read through verse 48. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Look, look at every word. Look at every little thing, detail that Jesus is saying here. Remember these parables that he went into, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. They weren't understood by everyone. They weren't something that, that, were, that when he just spoke it, it was just applicable to everyone. Like, no, no, no. Those that wanted to learn, remember that was the context of the people that were here in this passage with him that he was speaking to. And if you want to know more about that, go to our podcast and listen to the previous messages. Here at Bethlehem, we preach just right through the Bible. Next chapter, next, next verse. So the previous, we're learning that these are the students, those that want to learn what he's saying. So he's masking really this truth through this story. Every detail is important. So watch this here. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find. What's the next word? Watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch, that's like 3 a.m., right? How that would translate to our, the way we keep time. Even if the guy, that, the master that left and comes back, even if he's coming back at 3 in the morning, remember that word, that he may open the door, verse 36, what? Immediately, right? So watch it. Verse number uh, verse number 39. And this, no. That if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, here's another layer to the story, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. But ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. So this is like, He's giving you a little taste here. The Son of Man, Jesus himself, he's going to come in an hour when you think not. Verse 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise servant? So you see, he didn't really answer his question directly. Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and the maidens, and eat and drink, and to be drunken, The Lord of the servants will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. See how he just keeps kind of crisscrossing his story with what's going to happen? The thief with the Son of Man. Verse, Verse 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, Neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of, and, and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. 
For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be what? Much required. And to whom men hath committed much, of him they will ask the more. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We pray your Holy Spirit's power in this room, on our hearts, from within, illuminate our our hearts and our minds, Father, that we may be edified by this parable here in 2019. You know, just some 2,000 years ago, Father, when you gave it, even Peter was saying, are you talking to us? Father, I pray that our church right now would be ready, that we would receive this, that we would know that you're talking to us. And that the truths that are here layered in your word would reveal themselves through your word. It's powerful. It's alive. It's active. It's living. It's breathing. And Father, we're asking for the word of God to do its alive work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me lay some groundwork, okay? Y'all okay with that? Let me lay a little bit of groundwork. I'm going to give you some scripture. I want to kind of Paint a picture, the full picture, before we get to the, the points, before we get to even you know, my perspective on the end time philosophy, which you're going to get a lot of that this morning. You're going to get a, just a, a 10,000 foot stroke of, of the paintbrush here this morning of where I stand on the end times and my eschatological timeline. That just means how I view the Bible revealing how it's going to look um, after this life. Uh, So you're going to kind of get some of that. How many of you, it intrigues you what's going to happen after death? Does it intrigue you? How many of you feel like you have a full understanding of how the Word of God says it's going to happen in the end times? How many of you feel like you have a full understanding? Okay, all right. That's like two of you. Um, Some of you have studied. And God promises a gift to those who study the book of Revelation. So, I hope that this morning, if anything, yes, it will make you ready, it will give you perspective, but yet it will whet your appetite to dive into the Word of God and study more, okay? You ready? You ready to buckle up? I got a lot to cover in a short amount of time, and I have this little clock now on the screen. Uh, Me and Mr. Dan and Joe... Uh, spent some time in the attics this week pulling wire and, and, and uh, improving our internet, improving our lighting, and man, I thank the Lord for those men. And I mean, Mr. Chuck, he's, he's improved the, the coffee bar. I saw that, right? I, you thought you were going to get away with it. There was paper towels on it. And Josh, look at these new exit lights. See that? And, and, and they're lit, right? Hashtag lit. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, we're going to get back to that in the sermon. And they all match, man, my OCD gets better every week, man. Let's jump in here. If you have a pen, if you have a piece of paper, this is a great sermon to just really go to town on it. If you want, I can email you these notes later. I took some time on it and just kind of put things in perspective. And there's, there's resources, there are things, I could, I could point you to resources and two authors that that I feel like are representing the text well. And, and let me lead with this too. There are so many other perspectives towards end time prophecy. I'm going to give you my, uh, my belief where God has led me to. 
I've, I've been through seasons in my life where I was raised, what I'm, what I'm going to reveal to you is a dispensational truth, is, is the, the way that you would word it if you were to Google it. Uh, it's, it's dispensational truth. And uh, I have taken, there's been seasons in my life where I have gone away from that tradition, where I've gone away from dispensational truth and I've accepted other views of end time prophecy. And, you know, and I've kind of come back to this every time. So I say all that to say there are other views, there are other perspectives, there are other men of God that are awesome men of God that know way more than I do and that have been seasoned in the Word of God for years and years. There's writings that we can go back and, and, and read the Puritans on it, four and five hundred years old, these documents. We can go back to the Scripture, right, which is where we're going to go this morning, uh, and say that we have it right, but... Ultimately, there is some wiggle room, there is some movement on this eschatological timeline, and there is some variance. It doesn't affect salvation. It doesn't affect our belief in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so you can take a different approach, and I'll still love you, and you can disagree with me and, and say you're reading that verse wrong, or you're reading into it. Hey, you know what? I love you. You're my brother and sister in Christ. And it's not going to change the way I view you. And I hope this doesn't change the way you view me. But at the same time, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. Uh, and I'm going to read the word of God. And God's going to work on my heart. And it's my responsibility to deliver it to you the way I see it and the way I understand it. Um, so the dialogue can continue. And we can make appointments at diners at late at night. As Mike knows, I love to do that. I, lo- I like staying up late. And we can meet at midnight and talk end-time prophecy for hours at the Broadway Diner. Uh, and I'll just sit and sip coffee and throw a word in there on occasion. But anyway, uh, this should continue your studying. But here's my perspective on it, the full picture. And you say, well, what does this parable have anything to do with end-time prophecy? This parable has everything to do with it. So, and I think you'll see that at the end. Revelation 22, 18 through 19, buckle up. Uh, The Bible says, do not add or take away from the prophecy of this book. We find that the book itself is the revealed word of God. All things that God has chosen to reveal to his church, to reveal to his people in this age of grace where we are continuing to grow in the Lord, it is the complete revelation of God. The 66 books. The Bible. This is how we read it. This is how we understand it. And the book of Revelation revealed it, sealed it, and God said, don't add or take away from it. So that's my perspective. That's my point on it. What I'm going to dive into is something that has been revealed. There are other things outside of the Word of God that great men have written, that great men have put in publication. Those are great things, but they're not the revealed plan, the revealed nature. Uh, the Book of Mormon. Maybe he was a good dude. I'm not sure. But uh, when God reveals a book to a man in a graveyard a couple hundred years ago or less, and he says that this is a revealed... Hello? I'm sorry, Joseph Smith, I didn't mean to talk bad about you. But, okay. okay, all right, we'll talk later, bye-bye. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. Pause for a moment and take advantage of the laughter. But when a guy says, hey, I, I linked up with the angel Moroni, who's a known demonic oppressive spirit, anyway, uh, and he just 
gave me this incredible book and it's shown this wonderful path, this picture of revelation. I'm sorry, it doesn't pass the sniff test because God revealed his word in his word as holy men of God moved, as the Holy Ghost spake through them. So no angel revealed anything that the Holy Spirit didn't already reveal. That the Holy Spirit, the God, the consubstantial, the same substance of God, the Holy Spirit, revealed his word unto man. And and I don't believe we should add to it. Revelation says that. Isaiah 65, 17, 66, 22, 2 Peter 3, 13, for sake of time. Uh, I'm just reading the references and giving you a brief snapshot. And described in Revelation 21, 22, there is a new heaven and a new earth promised. A new heaven and a new earth promised. He loves us, oh how... All right, so anyway, and don't give the sound guy a hard time. I mean, our drummer wasn't here this morning. Josh was literally mixing us, muting me, unmuting me while he was drumming this morning, just so you know, so cut him some slack. (laughs) Oh my goodness, anyway. So there is promised a new heaven and a new earth. So... Once again, this should help you understand my perspective when we talk about this earth and everything's so bad and blah, blah, blah. Or, I can't wait to go to heaven forever. I'm just like, I sit there and I'm like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but it doesn't make sense theologically. Some of you think that you're going to die here on this earth and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and you're going to be in that heaven forever. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in a new heaven and a new earth. Some of y'all are like, oh. (laughs) And I understand this may be new for some of you, but those texts, if you go and you explore, you find that heaven looks different than what we've all been told in little stories or fables, or I don't even know what it is anymore, uh, how we teach our children about these things. The Bible matters. What the Word of God says is what matters, and that's how we should be receiving it and then dishing it out. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17, 1 Corinthians 15, 22-24, and Philippians 3, 21, uh, all clearly teach in a bodily resurrection from the dead. A bodily resurrection from the dead. Why do I believe that we're all going to physically rise from the dead? Because the Bible says it. Acts 1, 11, the Bible says that Jesus will return in a like manner. He'll come back in the manner in which he left. Mark 13, Mark 13, 32, in Acts 1-7, the Bible says that no man knoweth the day nor the hour when that will happen. James 4:14, if anything should catch your attention, it's this. James, the writer, says that life is a vapor. It appeareth for a little time, and then what? Vanisheth away. So just the few texts that I'm reading by way of introduction, knowing that there's a new heaven and a new earth, knowing that there's going to be a bodily resurrection, knowing that his return is imminent at any point in time, and that this life is but a vapor, it's going to happen quick. That's what that means. You know, all you people out, you see the vape for a second, and then it's what? Gone. Man, that's really applicable today, isn't it? Gosh. I mean, anyway, whatever. It's like vapor. See, I knew. I knew it was scriptural. We can vape. Oh, man, don't vape in church. It's like a vapor, preacher. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) We should have an understanding of what God is trying to teach us. Why? Because it's going to happen like that. 
In other words, there are distractions and things happening in your life. And if you're not careful, you're going to be consumed with those. And then over here, this stuff's just going to keep happening. God is not on your timeline. Well, let's wait for sister so-and-so. Maybe it'll happen this week. That's not God. God isn't up in heaven waiting on you to get your stuff straight. His timeline is set. It's fixed. It's going to happen. The Bible is warning us of that. Let me give you some reasons why I think the the Lord uh, will have his bodily return here to the earth. So what we need to understand here, most of what unites us in terms of an eschatological or an end-time perspective is the second coming of Jesus. There are other things that we may disagree on, one being the rapture, okay? The rapture, as much as we think is essential, is not a signature part in the end-time timeline in many other sects of Christian faith and belief. Our good brothers and sisters that attend church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night, there's a lot of them who don't believe that in the rapture of the church. And that's okay. I personally believe in it. And I'm going to show you why I believe in it. But beyond that, what we have to agree on biblically is that there is a second coming. And I don't want you to be confused as the church to, un- to think that. A lot of you are like, okay, teacher mode, Phew. You're just shutting me off. Stay with me, okay? Uh, The second coming of Christ, if we don't have that second coming, we don't have an eschatological timeline. We don't have a series of events that are set in motion, and we don't have a new heaven and a new earth. So we have to adopt and understand that Scripture, many times when he's talking about this, he's talking about his second coming. He's not talking about a rapture. So, why I believe that Jesus is going to bodily return here onto this earth. I'm going to give you some proofs for that. How many think it's important uh, to, to study, to understand why we believe what we believe? Yeah, it would be one thing for me to stand up here and say, hey, God's going to come back again. Okay, all right, feel better. It's all going to be good. And then never prove that to you. And I'm, I'm sorry, but that's a lot of the preaching today. The pastors are just up here, and not that I can't uh, entertain or, or say something funny or encouraging, and not that that's a bad thing, but there should be the Word of God present more than anything, more than humor, more than uh, stories. This is what's important. So it's important that I prove the Word of God right through what I'm saying as the Word of God, as the standard, the final authority, and not what Pastor Matt is just saying. So... Here's the reasons why uh, I believe in a bodily return. Jesus is going to physically come back to the earth. And this is why it's separate from the rapture. Because we believe in the rapture being something that, listen, Jesus comes in the air and we meet him what? In the air. That's not the second coming. That's not his bodily return to the earth. So here's a few things. The Old Testament has more than 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah. And only about a hundred of them were fulfilled within the first advent. So there are about 200 more prophecies in the Old Testament of passages that have not been fulfilled in the first coming, which leaves room for a what? A second one. Okay? 
For example, Psalm 2, 6-9, God promised that His Son would be king over all the earth and rule with a wrought iron. Did we see that happen during the first advent? Yes or no? No, we didn't. Isaiah 9, 6-7 describes His reign. I think this is so key, so crucial to, to my perspective of an eschatological timeline. It describes His reign as from David's throne. Micah 4, 3, Jeremiah 23, 5 also speaks of Christ's earthly rule. Zechariah 14, 4-9 graphically describes His return to earth to reign as King. Over 200 prophetic writings in the Old Testament, not in the New, not what we're discussing today, that are left unfulfilled. And if I know anything about the first hundred that were fulfilled in a dynamic way, he going to do it. He going to keep his word. He's going to take those 200 more prophecies that have not been fulfilled and he's going to fulfill them. You can take that to the B-A-N-K. You know what I'm saying. I, I started to spell it and I'm like, oh no. What if I don't spell it right? <laughs> Titus 1-2, Numbers 23-16. Don't take my word for it. The Bible says that God cannot lie. The second thing, Jesus detailed his coming in his earthly ministry. Matthew 24-25, through 25, when you read what Jesus says about his return, you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, that's going to happen. And that has not been fulfilled. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus' bodily return. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 7. The plan for the church is reflected in Christ's return. 2 Corinthians eleven two is the bride of Christ, the church. John 14, 2. Listen to this. He says, I've gone to prepare a what? Place for you. And if I go, I will come again. His second coming is built into the plan that we see revealed for his church, which we'll talk about that a little bit more. Revelation 19, 6 through 9, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb, which I believe is for the church. The world's problem of evil demands it. Here's some very practical reasons why I believe that Jesus is going to bodily return to the earth. The world's problem of evil demands it. John 5, 25 through 29 testifies to the world's issues. How many just know that the world is in dire straits and that we need a coming king? He's going to set it straight. The future of Israel, and this shows my cards as far as end time prophecy goes, but the future of Israel depends on it. It wasn't uh, 1948. It's the future of Israel when they will believe, when their blinded eyes will see him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Zechariah 12.10, Romans 11.26. Watch this, the exoneration of Christ. Matthew 24.30, it's depicted by Jesus himself in his second coming that he will be exonerated. He will be the King of Kings. He will be the Lord of Lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue, what? Will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is that how his first coming went? When he was on the... On the cross, exactly right. That is not uh, an exoneration to his place as King. So Jesus, his... Uh, exoneration for himself. The last vision of Christ to the world will not be him hanging on a tree. The punishment of Satan demands Jesus' bodily return. 
John 12, 31 through 32. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The punishment of Satan demands Jesus' bodily return. The hope of believers, Titus 2, 13, is a reason why he will bodily return. And the groaning of creation. Romans 8, 18 through 22 describes our nation, our, our, our world, not just our country, but it describes our, our world and our earth groaning. Like a woman in travail. I don't know how that feels. But it's probably not good, huh? Yeah? How many ladies have uh, had a baby? Right? Does it feel good? So here's my thing. Understand this. From the Bible, the earth is in travail. So let me give you some contextualization for what's happening in our world. There are those, without drawing aside politically... Right? There are those that are saying climate change, climate change, climate change, climate change. Anybody heard anything about that? Climate change? About being uh, environmentally responsible? Let me explain something to you. Climate change is never going to be solved until Jesus is bodily returned to earth. Because it's not about us being, <laughs> it's not about us being environmentally responsible, which is a good thing. But it's about us being responsible for what we've done to the world through our sin. Until our sin and our sin nature is taken care of, guess what? The world is going to continue to groan. We're going to continue to see famine. We're going to continue to see uh, um, fields that do not yield the appropriate harvest. We're going to continue to see hurricanes and tornadoes and things that, that will populate the news headlines. Why is that? The earth, the Bible describes it as being something that is groaning. You think sin just affected you? You think you in this economy are the only one who, who has that feeling of like, oh, I know I should do that to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. Paul himself writing 13 letters in the New Testament says, the things that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. You know what I'm saying? The point is, is that not only, and I feel like we don't think about this, not only do we personally deal with these things, but the earth deals with it. The ground, the weather patterns. Sin affects everything. It's so obvious when we see how corrupt we are that we then understand cursed is the ground. When Adam was driven from the garden, what was peaceful, what was perfect, what was whole, God said cursed is it. You will now be banished to till. You will now understand what hard work is because you're working against yourself. The earth's restoration hinges on Jesus' bodily return. How many of you think about that? Some of you are in lines of work that are affected by this. You should consider that. Get in a better occupation. Just kidding. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Here's my timeline. I have 15 minutes. Yep, sure do. <laughs> Here's my timeline. Imminent return and rapture. Here's what I think are going to be the next steps, okay? I'm just going to fly right through this. You can go back and listen to, because I'm going to give the scriptures. But how I think it's going to play out. I know that Christ is going to go. Put that one picture up there, Jose. I know, can you all see that? Yeah, 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 cool. I didn't draw this, okay? 
it would look much worse if I did. <laughs> but understand this. Here's how I feel like it's going to happen according to Scripture. An imminent return or rapture, not second coming. Jesus is going to come back for the church. John 14, 3. I feel like in John 14, that's one of the most pivotal texts where he says, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. He's having an intimate conversation with believers. Not second coming, ruling, and reigning, but I'm going to come back for my church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 describes us meeting him in the air. That's why I believe in a rapture. Those two texts are super pivotal for me, and that's why I can't let it go. Because it's described that he's coming for his believers. It's described that we're meeting him in the air. And then uh, there's, there's more meat to this. The marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation nineteen seven. If that's described that we're going to have a marriage supper, and then there's a 70-week prophecy from the book of Daniel where there's one week missing, one week representing seven years, I see a tribulation period while we are in heaven having our seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. So in this timeline, understanding that this is where we are now. We are currently in the church age. And the righteous dead raised. Jesus was the first resurrection, right? He's the first fruits among many. So we understand that if he was raised from the dead, Paul said that same power is what's going to raise us from the dead if we are believers and we are in him. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sealed with the earnest payment, the down payment that he is going to receive us to himself. And then a, tri- a tribulation period of seven years. If you've watched The Left Behind and those things, there are movies like that that really depict this timeline. So uh, we have the reign of the Antichrist, the 70th week of Daniel chapter 7. And here's where I really, I really believe in this because it's the restoration of the Jews to Palestine. The conversion of the remnant of Israel. When you read Revelation, you have 120,000 male Jewish virgin, virgins running all over the earth evangelizing Jews. It's the time of Jacob's trouble that we read about. So that's why I firmly believe Israel is blinded right now so that the church, the Gentiles, can believe the bride of Christ. And then that is going to be transitioned to where God's going to use this tribulation period to bring his chosen people back to himself. That makes sense. And then we have Christ's second coming. Christ's second coming, after he defeats the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation period, we have a thousand-year millennial reign, and that is an earthly reign here. Jesus is coming back. He has his bride. We've had a marriage supper in that heaven where he resides now, and then he's coming back, and we are ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Revelation 19, 11 through 21. The millennial reign is... is a literal thousand years is mentioned in Revelation 20 through 4. If he literally says a thousand years, I just can't put in perspective how he means something else. Right? So anyway, that's why I just I believe that. And then we have a final judgment at the end of the millennium when Satan is loosed because God describes this as a thousand years when he's ruling and reigning that Satan is going to be chained. Satan is going to be bound. You're going to have uh, God and Jesus ruling on every TV channel, on every social media outlet. It is going to be Jesus ruling and reigning, I believe, from Jerusalem, from the throne of David for a thousand years. And Satan will be bound then. He will be loosed. 
And then the judgment of the wicked, Satan, will then be tossed into his eternal state of hellfire and damnation with everyone else who has not believed, who has not accepted. The Bible describes then at that point, there is a new heaven and a new earth. 2 Peter 3.10 describes heaven coming down to earth and earth being completely renovated by fire. We have those being tossed into the eternal state, and you think we've seen earthquakes before. You think we've seen fires before, and things wipe out uh, whole towns and cities and even states. Church, the whole earth, it is groaning. It is ready for our Savior and King, our Creator, to purge earth as we know it, to refine it from sin. Everything will be burnt up that we know, but what is done for Christ What has been deposited into the eternal kingdom will last. They that turn many to righteousness will shine as the brightness of the stars. Stop holding on to what you think you have and start thinking about what is to come. New heaven and new earth. Now we turn to our text. If I were to say three things, three points about our text... Everything that, we, everything that we just talked about, that was a lot, right? Information overload a little bit, just a little? Okay. It's okay. It'll be all right. You have the rest of your lives to study it. But the point is, something's about, it's going to happen. And it's imminent. The next point on this timeline is the rapture. And, you, you, you know, you've seen goons throughout the years. It's going to happen at- January 1st, Y2K, he's coming back. (laughs) Anyway. And if they knew the Bible, it says, no man knoweth the what? Day nor the hour. Okay, loser. (laughs) And everybody's like, I bought a book, just in case. Just in case he's right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you have all those just in case Christians. They're not okay and they're not secure in what they believe. So they've secretly, they do everything else that all the other religions talk about in their closet. You know, just in case the Mormons got it right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this isn't a just in case thing. This is what the Bible says. And so my, my point is, is the word of God says that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to snatch the church right up out of this world. So if you're not in the church, you got a problem. Okay, now, all of these things, everything that I just said, right? You downloaded the information, you're running the program right now, okay? Now listen to the text. You ready? Let your loins be girded about. Let me translate that to 2019. Next slide, Jose. Point number one. Oh, that's all of them. You just gave, you just gave it away. <laughs> nope, there it is. Point number one. I keep forgetting that this is a, a prompter. And that that's not what's up there. Get dressed. I'm just going to keep pointing at it. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) We're working out the kinks. Get dressed. Let your loins be girded about. It's not just the element of clothing. Remember, Jesus is talking in a parable. This is some funny stuff. I can't make this stuff up up here. It's not just the element of clothing. It's the way you are wearing it. And I'm going to show you that. You are dressed for a purpose. Put your uniform on, is what Jesus is saying. Preparation is in the attire that you have selected to put on 
and can effectively roll up your shirt sleeves. He says, let your loins be girded about. What, <laughs> what he's saying is, take your robe, remember robes? Take your robe and tuck it in your belt. Be ready to move. Do you get the picture? In times past, it would, see, you need to dress like Jesus wants you to dress. Women don't wear britches. You know, I don't know, whatever. You know, I've heard that talked about, this text. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you know, you've heard this often, that what we wear affects how we act, right? And there's a reason why we, we say, hey, come as you are. Come casual to church. And a lot of people disagree with that. I don't disagree with it, obviously. That's how we do it here. The point is not what you are wearing. It's what are you doing in those clothes that matters. Let your loins be girded about. Wherever you bought that robe, make sure you're able to tuck that thing in your belt so that you can go for a run. When they were about to take a run in that time frame, they didn't leave their robe down. They tucked it in. We're not here. We're not here in church to look pretty. We're here in church to get busy. Number one, get dressed. That's what he's saying. Let your loins be girded about. And then the next thing it says, and, and, and your lights, what is it? Burning. Two, get lit. <laughs> I knew at this point in the message that you would need some humor. All that information that, <laughs> that I just gave. No, that's not why I did it. Light is a, <laughs> light is a picture of knowledge. The illumination of the mind is what is in view. You have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have leaned into the Word of God to illuminate your mind and your path. Psalm 119, 105, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. Paul said, take the helmet of salvation. Understand this. If you get dressed, in other words, you gird up your loins. You put your work clothes on. I don't want you coming to church in your pajamas. You know what I'm saying. This isn't an area for you to lounge around. This isn't a loungewear issue. If you understand that there's a timeline that's happening and Jesus is coming back and he's going to take the believers with him and then we're going to come back down to earth and we're going to rule and reign for a thousand years, the pajamas are done. We've passed that stage. Satan has had you comfortable long enough. Church, don't you understand that he's had you blinded long enough? There's no time for pajamas. There's no time for popcorn. There's no time time for movies get dressed put your work clothes on roll up your shirt sleeves and number two not the lit that you're thinking about oh my goodness gracious illuminate your minds you see (laughs) paul put it this way and don't think that i'm doing something that paul wouldn't do i like that guy he says be not be not drunk with wine wherein is what excess but be Filled with the Spirit. Church, if you don't know what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to to live as a Christian, it's your own fault. It ain't my fault. It's your fault. If you're not in this word, if you're not letting the word of God illuminate your path, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Oh, this... I, I love each and every one of you. You know that, right? 
I love you so much, but oh my goodness, this, this life is so hard. <laughs> For real? He gave you the word of God, and he said, that's a lamp. I don't know what to do. My word is a lamp, and I'm not thinking a lot of my path. Cast your care on him, for he careth for you. I'm just saying. Y'all are still in your pajamas. Put your work clothes on. Roll your shirt sleeves up. Jesus is coming back. Uh, let's just continue the story. Look at it. Let your loins be girded up. Let your lights be burning. And you yourselves unto the men that wait for their Lord when he will return for the wedding. In other words, my man has gone to prepare. My man has gone off for a celebration. Why? Because he just defeated death, hell, and the grave on the cross. He's up in heaven making an atonement for your sins. And when he comes back, he going to bring it. He going to bring it. And you better be ready. Look, blessed are those servants whom when the Lord comes, he finds watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird up himself and make them to sit down to meet. <laughs> the Bible says that literally, if you're ready, the master himself will sit the servants down and feed you. Marriage supper of the Lamb. I wish you could see this in perspective. Every Christian that's just wandering aimlessly, I'm just in such a dry desert place. Man, get dressed. Let's 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 get a let's get lit. You understand? Let's get an <laughs> yes, <laughs> Lord Supper. Let's turn the stinking light on. The word of God will illuminate. Number three, get ready. Shoot. <laughs> Look at this. Oh my goodness, this is so good. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come. The Bible says that Jesus is like a thief in the night. He's going to come and snatch us out of here before the world even knows it. Listen to this. If the good man or the man that was away at the wedding knew that there was a thief coming, check this out. He would have what? Watched and not have suffered his house to be broken into. I don't have time to get into the rest of the message. Man, I really wish I did, but I don't. Jesus will come as a thief. How many of you have security cameras at your house? Y'all ready, aren't you? I got them Arlo's. But you know what? They're in a box. (laughs) I just got them a little bit ago, and I haven't installed them yet. But you know what? If a thief comes tonight, and I'm all waking up, I'm going to be like, doggone it. Two weeks ago, we walk out in my backyard, and my house is like still under construction. It's getting better, thank the Lord. Give him praise. Woo-hoo. But I have like these temporary fences put up, and I have my bike on the outside of my shed. So somebody walking up meadow looks over and sees my bike. Two little jump, hop, skip, and a jump. Throws my bike over the fence, and off they ride. They didn't feel like walking anymore, right? Man, if I would have known that that joker... <laughs> I'd have been like waiting right there on my porch. I'd have been like, watch this, yo. <laughs> I'd have Goldberg that guy, you know what I'm saying? Remember wrestling? Shoot. I'd have planted his head in the neighbor's house, had to pay for damages, and loved every second of it. Man, I'm like, that joker. But that's the thing about a thief you don't know, you weren't ready. And they take advantage of you. And you're just like, 
you know, it's funny because Jesus represents the thief. And he goes, to all those that have willing ears, to all of you that want to actually listen to what's going on in the end times, you know the plan. This is like some Italian job. Like, we literally are going to perform the most incredible heist of all time. The whole entire church of believers. I'm going to steal you up out of this rotten mess. And how many of you, you ain't dressed and you don't even know. The Bible ends this passage by saying, to whom much is given, much is required. You may be saved barely. You may be like, hold on, young, put my shirt on. Here I come, Jesus. woo but you're going to get there and you're going to be like, mm. Mm. man, pass me the butter. You know what I'm saying? No clue. No clue. You got people up there like that were martyrs for their faith that gave everything. They're up there chest bumping. Yes. You remember? It was crazy. We gave everything. Our kids, they were fed to the lions. They were fed to the lions. Do you remember those years, those dark ages? They were chasing us through caves. And we gave everything. This is amazing. Now we're going to experience ruling and reigning with Jesus for all eternity. And you're going to be like, they told me in membership class I had to give 10% of my income and I was out. <laughs> Shoot. Man, I've really messed up. I've really messed up. Let's just take a warning from your path. I love you guys so much. But y'all need to get your work clothes on. Y'all need to get your Bibles out. Y'all need to get on your knees and you need to get ready. You're not going to hell from this church. Don't say I didn't tell you so. That's one of the best things that we talked about with this membership class because it really sets the tone. I'm not coddling you anymore. Maybe I will next week. You look like you need it a little bit. When the thief comes, you would want to be prepared, yes? Or do we just curl up in the fetal position and let him take everything? No, 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 no. Kimber, 45. Excuse me? <laughs> Something to say. But you don't do that as Christians. Some of y'all are in the fetal position. And you're choosing to live in your sin instead of living the victory that Jesus gave you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Mm-mm-mm.